Good morning. Thanks for your patience as we're making an adjustment here on the fly. I uh, tried to print this sermon a moment ago, and the printer didn't work. So now I'm going to use my computer, and uh, I can only go as long as this battery works. So you know that. <laughs> And I left my Exodus book over here, Kent. Um, thank you. Thanks, my lovely assistant, Olivia, for the Exodus book. Uh, yeah, there you go. There you go. Thank you. Okay. Um, it's so good to be with you guys. I'm just going to hold this. I'm out of room. Let me open in prayer. You are truly great, Lord. And everything we've sung about you is right, and you are worthy, you're so worthy, and you're the only one who's worthy. Praise your great name here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, last week, Brother Terry gave such a, such a wonderful sermon that I thought, as I start today, I just ought to go back and preach a little bit of that myself. Um, if it went so well, I can't go wrong just, just redoing a little bit of it. So I want you to uh, open up your handy-dandy Exodus book, if you have it, to Exodus 15, or your Bible, either one. Um, you can always recognize my Exodus book because I tried to take off the sleeve, and I didn't know my own strength. It just, it just came. So uh, this is mine, everybody. <laughs> Uh, if we're going to know God and if we're going to live the Christian life like, like we need to live it, we got to learn how to talk. You know that? we got to learn how to place the emphasis in the right place. Not, not just learn how to talk so that we can know, know technicalities, but because our vocabulary reflects what we know to be true. And what we're finding in, in the book of Exodus is that these people, it's easy for us to forget this because we sort of think, well, the people who were God's people, they had it all downloaded onto them at once. They didn't. They went through a history. They developed. And they came to know God. God revealed himself, and they came to further and further understandings as they moved. They're learning how to talk. They're learning how to place the emphasis in the right place. Last week, I was sitting at lunch with, with uh, Wayne and Joe and Anna and Philip, maybe somebody else there, and something, somehow it came up. We were talking about hunting, and I said, oh, yeah, uh, uh, years ago we used to go dog hunting. And uh, as I said it, I realized that needs a lot of clarification. <laughs> because we, what it was is we were deer hunters. I grew up deer hunting. And we would use dogs to hunt the deer, right? And we'd say, oh, let's, let's, we're doing dog hunting now, right? <laughs> it wasn't that we went dog hunting. But a lot, of, a lot of meaning can change by where you place the emphasis, by where you place a pronoun, by where you place a comma. I don't know if you've ever seen anybody do something like this, but it, it really reveals the, the difference in, in emphasis. Let's eat, children. Let's eat, children. Right? Very, very different. Where you place the emphasis. The children of Israel are learning where to place the emphasis. And uh, in Exodus 15, they have learned something about God. They've been learning, but it's hard to get it through their heads. It's hard to learn these truths. But when they see that God can lead them across, part the sea. Lead them. By the way, there are two miracles that take place there. I don't know if you ever noticed this closely in the text. Now, I don't remember you saying anything about this if you did last week. 
I missed it in the, in the flood of ecstasy I was, I was feeling that summer. I missed it. Uh, but uh, there's the miracle of parting the waters, and there's the miracle of dry ground. Right? You ever seen a pond, sand, or something like that, and try to step out on it? All the water's just gone? You're not just going to walk across, are you? You're going to be trudging through. That's what happens when the Egyptians get into the water. Read, it, read the text closely. The Israelites walk straight across. The Egyptians hit it, and they get stuck. So it's, it's the miracle of parting the waters, and it's the miracle of uh, the dry ground that, that's there in the text. They see God do this, and they come out on the other side. And as far as I know, you guys may correct me if I'm wrong, as far as I know, this is the first song in the Bible. I don't think there's another song in the Bible before Exodus 15. But now they're singing, because we always sing in light of Revelation. This is the difference in Christian singing and in secular singing. We don't draw up the song from inside ourselves. We don't get in touch with what's really there and then draw out the song. The song comes from there. God reveals, and that hits us, and that's where the song comes from. They've seen something, and now they are singing about it. But notice where they place the emphasis here. I don't have a screen in the back today, so I'm just going to be looking with you up here. No, notice the pronouns, okay? The people of Israel sang this song to the Lord saying, I will do what? I will sing to the Lord. For he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation this is my God and I will praise him my father's God and I will exalt him see every time you get an I or my in this text it's related to what God has done or what you're doing to praise God for what he's done the Lord is a man of war the Lord is his name you see it wasn't about learning to pronounce the name right it was about knowing who God is that's what they learned with the Lord being revealed the Lord is his name. So I'll sing. The enemy said, now notice the pronouns here. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You You blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. Notice it doesn't say, you know, you practiced really hard, and then you went to battle. No, you blew. You stretched out your hand. You just did it because you can. And nobody can contend with you when you do. That's what it says. And then Miriam sings. Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. See, they got the emphasis right. The enemy said, I'll do this. They said, you have done it. And that's what God was teaching them. Uh, you may have heard this story years ago. 
when Michael Jordan was playing for Dean Smith at North Carolina, Dean Smith told him about being individual. He said, there's, there's no I in team. And Michael Jordan responded, there, there's an I in win, though. So like Michael Jordan might can get by saying that, right? Well, I'll tell you something. With God and God's deliverance, it's not about the team. It's about the win. And God doesn't need the team to win. Notice there's not a lot of we in this. Our strength, we were strong, we did it. It's not that. It's God did it. And so we sing for his power and his glory. That's the emphasis we're learning as we go through the book of Exodus. And that leads us right to where we are now, coming out of this, this beautiful song that they're singing, this glorious uh, understanding that they have gained. Now we see four events taking place for the first uh, exercise of freedom that these people experienced. They've been slaves for years, and now they come and they have freedom. We're going to see four scenes here that are revealing. I'm going to look at uh, the first two more carefully, and then we're just going to glance at the last two. We'll check our time and maybe uh, uh, just see, see how much we can talk about them. But the, the, the main focus is going to be on these, these first two events, okay? And the first scene we see is in, in chapter 15, beginning at verse 22 after this song. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter, therefore they named it Marah. Makes sense. Marah means bitter, and so they named it that. And for the first time, we'll see a little bit more of this in a minute, for the first time the people grumbled. They grumble against Moses and say, what shall we drink? We've been three days and we're thirsty. What are you going to give us to drink? And he cried to the Lord and the Lord showed him a log and he threw it into the water and the water became sweet. And then the Lord made for them a statute and a rule and there he tested them. We're going to see a little bit more about testing here in a minute. He tested them because he's trying to teach them and trying to, to uh, grow them in, the, in their walk with him. But here's the first teaching we get given to the newly freed people. They've seen the mighty acts of God. They've walked across the parted water or the, the, the ground where the water's been parted on dry ground and they've come out and now they see another miracle and there's, this is the first teaching they're, they're given. Saying, the Lord said, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians for I am the Lord your healer the first thing they're taught is you need to listen to the Lord now that might be that might be uh, good to know right right at the outset you're not being brought out into a relationship where I'm going to just turn you loose, right? They didn't know. You see, we say, of course, they should know that. No, they didn't know that. They're not used to a God who's regularly communicating with the people. And so the first thing they have to learn is pay attention to the Lord. He is going to be your teacher. There's a close, there's a close link in Scripture between listening and obeying. Actually, there's a close link in my home with my children between listening and obeying. 
Sometimes I will say something, and then I'll say, hey, you're in trouble. You didn't do it. No, I didn't hear you. You did hear my voice, I know. <laughs> I was standing right beside you. <laughs> you see, part, part of what we do if we're obedient to God is we pay attention. And we're listening. And because we're listening, we're aware of what we should do and we're being obedient. Listen, if you want to be, be disobedient, the way to start with that is don't listen. I didn't really, I don't know what he's talking about. Let's just move on. And I think a lot of people, the Lord is trying to get their attention. Because he wants to bless their lives and teach them a new way to live, but they haven't learned how to stop and listen. Listen to his word. Listen to how he leads from his word on out into life. They've experienced great grace. They've been delivered. Now they have to learn to listen and obey the Lord. Sometimes in Christian circles, you'll see people kind of draw a, a hard and fast dichotomy. This is not, the, not at all good Christian theology, and many people have pushed back against it, but, but occasionally you will see it, and a lot of times in popular circles, you'll see spread, uh, spread around a dichotomy between grace and obedience. And it's like, oh, you know, I know I should listen to the Lord, but there's grace. So I guess I won't. <laughs> I don't really need to. Uh, let me tell you something. That's not grace. Teaching you to be disobedient to the Lord. That's just dumb. That's what that is. God's commands are grace. That's what the Israelites learned. They needed someone to teach them. And the Lord said, I'm not just going to set you out there and turn you loose to figure it out. I am going to teach you how to live. And grace always takes us further into obedience. Grace is not given to us to free us from obedience. Grace is given to us to free us for obedience. That's what grace does, not perfection. At least not for me. Not for most people I know. But obedience. Learning to walk in his ways, learning to listen to him. That's the first, first thing he tells them, I am going to be the God who is close enough to you that I can teach you and you will listen to me. And then this scene, uh, this, this beautiful miracle here, really. You wonder, why is there no water? Well, uh, you know, they go three days. He's just done such mighty things. Can he give them some water? But they're thirsty. And he has Moses throw this log into the water, and the water is made sweet. If you actually look at that word, the Hebrew word there, it's used again multiple times in Scripture, but at least one more time, it's used when Elisha does a miracle to turn bad water good. And it says he healed the water. And I think this is meant to be a sign and a symbol that God can use to teach them. He said, he said I healed that water. If you listen to me, I'm not going to put diseases on you like I did the Egyptians. What does he say? For I am the Lord. He gives his name again. I am the Lord, your healer. I'm the Lord who heals you. Now, you see, this is, this is so beautiful. And we take so much for granted because we see God through the, the Lord Jesus who's revealed him in a way that is beyond our, what we ever would have expected or, or known or comprehended. 
but, but for them not to know that. They've just watched God kill a bunch of people. They've just watched him wipe out this powerful, powerful nation. And so when they sing, as we saw just a moment ago in early in, in uh, uh, chapter 15, their song says, the Lord is a mighty warrior. The Lord's a man of war. That's what they're singing about. I mean, imagine, imagine that uh, you've just watched Mike Tyson destroy an opponent in the boxing ring, and then somebody says, you know, I see you've got a, uh, a bad cut there. You should go to Tyson and let him sew that up for you. You, get, you need a root canal? Go to Mike Tyson. Let him do that root canal for you. You don't put him in that category, right? <laughs> um, he's a mighty warrior, a mighty fighter. But you wouldn't first think of him as a healer. They weren't thinking of the Lord their God as a healer. This is beautiful revelation that's being given to them. The Lord wants to heal you. That's what he's saying to them. You've got to learn. This God's going to relate to you differently than any other God you've ever known. Yes, he will fight if he needs to fight. He'll fight to free you. He'll fight to glorify himself against the armies that oppose him and his people. But what he wants to do is heal you. What he wants to do is bless you. This is super, super important revelation. You see, that's not what they said in their song. This song still had to be written. The song that's not just about God the warrior, but the song that's about God the healer. You know that the Lord our God is our healer. And I just want to spend a little bit of time with this today. I have a lot of questions, guys. Um, I don't know why God doesn't heal sometimes. And I've had a lot of prayers that weren't answered. But I know God heals. I was in a room several years ago, and we were praying, and you could sense that it was a special time when the Spirit of God was moving among us, and uh, a lady's broken leg was healed. Now, we didn't, she was a shy lady, and she didn't say anything. She felt something going on. She didn't say anything at the time. It was something like the next week she went to the doctor and they couldn't find the break anymore. It was gone. It was a powerful moment. We were so thankful. You know, that same night we prayed for, for two ladies. Both of them have lupus. And they are very, very dear to, to our hearts. Um, part of our... <laughs> sorry, I almost, almost needed the healing on this computer. Um... um uh, they weren't healed. And I thought that night might be the night. I really did. And if I were advising the Lord, I would go to him and, and say, why don't you just let the leg heal on its own <laughs> and get rid of the lupus? Because the leg will be fine after, after a while. And that's not what he did. There several years ago, I hope it's okay if I share this. It's really Brother Terry's to share. But there, several years ago, I was with Brother Terry, and y'all know his poor, pitiful ankles. Um, and you can't help but feel sorry for him when you, when you see him limping around. And uh, 
I just felt moved to pray for his ankles. I got down on the ground, I put my hands on his ankles and prayed for him. He called me five weeks later. He said, I've waited to call you because I've been slow to believe this, but since the night you prayed for my ankles, I haven't need to wear, needed to wear my ankle brace anymore. Um, and I was so thankful. I saw him months later. He was still walking around without his ankle brace. Um, he went to Jerusalem. That's that year he went to Jerusalem in, in November and uh, walked and walked and walked all over the place and re-injured his ankles. Guess what? Came back. I saw him at Celebrate Jesus that year. I was ready to pray for those ankles again. I thought, this one works, you know. <laughs> Let's do it. We did. It didn't work. His ankles weren't healed. I don't know why. But I know God heals us. One of the things I think we uh, need to, to wrestle with when we think about this is that um, God does a lot for us that we don't even think he's doing. That goes for things that we don't see, like protection. We have no idea the things that we've been protected countless, countless times. We have been spared from things that we don't, we don't even see. But I, the, the more I, I, I grow, you know, we talk about natural means. I'm not sure I believe so much in natural means anymore. Because the, the whole world is sustained, the Bible says, by the word of his power. If God weren't, weren't always actively sustaining things, this whole world would fall apart. And your health would fall apart, too. I uh, woke up in Colorado a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, had a searing headache, woke me up in the middle of the night. And I, I, I don't usually have those. And I remember I was just sitting there thinking, I talked to Olivia about it afterwards, just thought, man, what's, um, I take for granted so often that I don't have a headache. <laughs> and I live every day without my head hurting. That was just debilitating when you have a terrible headache like that. But you know what I've come to? I don't, I don't think anymore it's like suddenly God shows up uh, when the headache is there, as if he wanted to, to do that. Or, or suddenly I need to think about him because a headache came. What, I, what I've come to believe is that every day I wake up without a headache, it's because God's hand is on me. When you wake up, and you have energy, and you're not bent over sick and hurting, it's because the active grace of God is upon you. Just because he does it so much doesn't mean it's not him. He causes his rain to fall on the just and on the unjust, right? He causes his health to fall on the just and on the unjust. Our problem is we see it happening a lot for a lot of different people, and we just stop thinking it's him. And then we're ungrateful for it. Part of what we need to realize is that what we call natural means of, of, of healing, they are the grace of God. Medicine is the grace of God. And even, even in striking ways, I haven't done a lot of research on this, but I've heard about it. As people who know the history and philosophy of science, if you, if you study the, the history, you find that sometimes people come up with these scientific insights and these medical insights through dreams. <laughs> Let us dream them up <laughs> because God's grace is there. So sometimes maybe, maybe uh, we don't receive a miraculous healing because, uh, you, know, you, you know, the whole 
the whole, the whole story of the boats and the helicopter thing, y'all know, it's, it's well known. The guy who got up on top of his house and, and there was a flood, you know, and he said, well, it, I'm, uh, a boat came by. He said, no, God's going to get me. A helicopter came. The other helicopter came. He said, no, God's going to get me. He got to heaven after he died in the flood. And he said, I, I told everybody you were going to come and save me. And God said, I sent you to a, a boat and two helicopters. <laughs> Sometimes it may be that uh, we have not just said, thank you, Lord, for this medicine that you sent to us. And recognize that it is there because of him. Directly because of him. So there, there are all kinds of things to think about when it comes to this. And like I told you, I have questions that don't have answers. I know God has healed a lot of people powerfully. Let me just stop and do this. This is a little bit risky, but I'm just going to do this. And, and you just be honest, okay? Would you raise your hand if you have received something that you would call a miraculous healing physical healing. I'd like for you to just look around for a second. Feel free to just glance around. Okay. And a lot of us people, we came from backgrounds where it's not supposed to happen. <laughs> leave your hands up for a second, okay? If you would, just leave them up. Would you raise your hand if you believe you've witnessed some kind of miraculous physical healing? Okay. Keep looking around. What about this? Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Raise your hand. You may need another hand to raise. Okay? It's okay if you raise two. Have, have you received a, we, won't, we won't necessarily use the term miraculous. Have you received uh, an emotional healing? A significant emotional healing? Raise your hands. Right. Now, now everybody look around, please, for just a second. Okay. That's because we have the Lord who heals us. And it's a lot more common than we realize. And I want to encourage us as a church to not, um, not dismiss the difficult questions, but to step further in to believing that God is our healer and to pray in light of that. This week, Monday night, as we, we had already been praying for Nora, um, Olivia got a text message and uh, it really concerned me the way the message came, um, that maybe things had taken a bad turn. And it was just a few, just a few moments later, I was on my knees at our kitchen table, praying with tears, along with my family. Sorry. And I was texting every prayer warrior I knew on this earth. <laughs> I may not be a prayer warrior, but I was a text warrior. <laughs> and I was texting all these people to pray. And uh, we got good news soon after. Not a miraculous healing, not in a demonstrable sense anyway. But uh, we received good news. How did that happen? I don't know exactly. Was it the great grace of the, the gift of, of medicine? Did God come alongside that medicine uh, to, to be, make it uh, especially effective? Was it the re release of, of the energy of love that I believe is uh, a spiritual reality and can make a difference? Was it just prayer, doing some things beyond our comprehension? I don't know. 
But I'll tell you this, I know God's our healer. And that's why I was on my knees. And I know I'm so thankful to him. I know I'm so thankful that if my kids are ever sent to the hospital, the best I have is not just a doctor's chance. The Lord has revealed himself as our healer. And I want to urge us as a church to believe that, not, not to stick our head in the sand and be dismissive of, of legitimate questions and concerns, because I have those too, but to believe that he is our healer and to pray powerfully because of that and find that he is real and he means us. Okay, that took a while. Let's look at this next section, uh, next scene, and we'll, we'll, uh, we won't spend much time on, on these to come. Uh, the next scene is in chapter 16. And if you were to read the whole thing, it's verses 1 through 30. Uh, the people grumble against Moses again. Notice what they say in verse 3. Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. Yeah, that's what it was like, wasn't it? <laughs> when we were slaves in Egypt, we were just sitting around the bread pots or the meat pots and eating our bread. <laughs> you see, sometimes when we want to grumble and complain, it's because we, we revisit history and rewrite it. <laughs> uh, Whether we had died rather than be brought out here. And they say, you have brought us out, verse 3, into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. See, that's wrong. They were already getting Moses confused with the Lord. And this point had to be clarified for them if they were going to go on living with God. Look at verses uh, uh, 6 through 8. Moses and Aaron said to the, all the people of Israel at evening, at evening you shall know that it is the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Not me. It's the Lord who did it. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling's not against us, it's against the Lord. You see, that point had to be clarified. God was always intended to be the king of his people. Moses was great. He was important as a leader, but he was not the king. God was their king. And that that point is essential to living life with the Lord. That's what leaders of God's people are meant to do. They are not meant to stand in for God. They are meant to sort of clear a pathway for people to get to God. And there's a huge difference in that. We do not idolize people. We do not elevate people. Because all of us are made for relationship with the Lord God. And you'll always be frustrated with your leaders if you're expecting them to do for you what only God can do for you. What leaders are given to the people for is to point them to God, to clear pathways for them, to make the way to God accessible. But God is the one who meets the needs. And every single person is made for a relationship with God. We're going to see in chapter 19, Brother Charles is going to be preaching to us about this in a few weeks, that, that God calls the people a kingdom of priests. 
That didn't mean there wasn't a special class of priest. It had a special role, path-clearing kind of role. But the whole people was a kingdom of priests because every single person is made for a life of interactive relationship with the Lord God. This is incredible. God's the king of the people, but he's an accessible king of the people, so he makes all the people priests. He says, you come to me. You come to know me. You come to walk with me. Moses, help them get there. Aaron, help them get there. But let them know who the real king is. Well, they're complaining about their food. The answer God gives them. I don't take the time to read it all. The answer God gives is, okay, you want meat and bread? Read it closely. He gives them meat and bread. And he says, at night, I'm going to give you quail. Don't know what was so good about quail, but that's what he gave them. And he said, in the morning, on the ground, I'm going to give you something that can, set, can be for you the bread you're wanting. They look at it, and they say, what is it? That's what manna means. What is it? They're looking at this stuff on the ground, but fortunately, I think they already knew the lesson that we have learned in our home from Daniel Tiger. You've got to try new things because they might taste good. Right? Daniel Tiger can be very relevant to a lot of life situations, guys. So they try it, they eat it, and uh, God sustains them with bread and meat. Look at verses 19 through 21. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Right? So they gathered enough for the day, and then they left it. Right? That's what they're supposed to do. They did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it, so they, kept, they took it home. They left part of it till the morning. They thought, well, I want, I want this in the morning. I'm not going to take it all right now. Well, it bred worms and stank, and Moses was angry with them. So morning by morning, they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. Why? Why is God telling them, don't leave anything till the morning? They are having to learn essential lessons for living life with God. And this lesson is, we are daily dependent on Him. And, and a lot of these lessons are, they're given in a way where they learn the lesson, right? They're not always going to have the exact same practice. It's not that God was always against saving any food till the next day. But he was against them thinking that they were the ones who had to secure their future. And so he's teaching them very, very carefully, I will give you what you need right when you need it. So you depend on me for today. And then Jesus picks up on this years later and says, the prayer is, give us today what we need. And the idea is we know that even today, our lunch across the street is God's act of grace to us. And we don't worry about tomorrow because we know he will provide for that. And you see, these are, these are slaves who are used to living in a world, world of scarcity and hostility. And you know what you do in that world? I gotta make sure I'm okay. I gotta gather it up. I gotta keep it. I gotta compete. I gotta bump somebody out of the way and get a little more bread, take to my house because it might be gone. That's the way, you know, they didn't live in a world of abundance. They had to take care of themselves in Egypt. 
He's teaching them how to live not as slaves, but as free people. But free people who know the God of heaven will provide for them. And he's a God of abundance. And he'll give you what you need. So you learn to walk in daily dependence. That's what he's teaching them. We don't learn this lesson. And so we spend a lot of our time trying to accumulate and secure our futures. And we can't risk anything. And we miss out on the joy of stepping out on that tightrope with God to see what he will do because we're thinking, nah, it's up to me. The future's up to me. Now, I'm not nuancing all this. Like, I don't think the scriptures overall teach us not to save and to be uh, considerate of our future in, in a reasonable way. There's, there's a wisdom teaching about that kind of thing too. So, so don't get me wrong. But the, the basic principle should guide our lives that God is the one who provides and we live with him, trusting him on a daily basis. The same thing shows up when we get to verse 22 here. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread. This is the first teaching in the Bible that we get about the Sabbath, besides in Genesis uh, 1 and 2, where God rests on the Sabbath. And all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So, so what he tells them is, you get two days worth on Friday, and then you rest on Saturday. And that's going to be a Sabbath. It's going to be a day of rest. Now, you've got you to think about how mind-blowing this is to slaves who have been forced to work every single day of their lives. And they're, they're not just slaves, they're the sons and daughters of slaves. This is the way life is. And God takes them and he says, I want you to rest. What? The world's, the, the world's going to stop. Well, how do we make it if we, don't, if we don't keep working? I'll provide for you. That's what it is. And I, I want, we'll say more maybe about the Sabbath when we come to the Ten Commandments. I don't want to take up a lot of time with it here. But uh, I want to say to you that this principle, not as a rule that has to be kept in a certain exact way today, but this principle is one that Christians should learn from. And you guys, uh, may, some of you may remember seeing, uh, Olivia and I did some talks about this when we were shut down for COVID online. Uh, the Sabbath principle is given to us by God. And I want to encourage you to think about it seriously. Um, one of the reasons why people so resist keeping Sabbath is they cannot let go of the control of their lives. And they cannot stop and rest. And they cannot turn things over to God and say, God, the world is yours now, and I'm going to stop and rest. And our souls are hungering to stop and connect with God. And we keep starving them. And our bodies sometimes are starving for rest. And our families are starving for us to stop and be present. And we keep bouncing off the walls because that's what we've learned to do. And if you look closely at this scripture, you learn that this is an issue of trust in God. And I say it to you because I would like for you to know the gift that God gives when we stop, in principle, 
And we say, you know, I'm going to take a seventh of my time each week. And I am not going to be driven by the things that have been driving me. And I'm going to be present to God and to others around me. We ought, we'll say more about this, okay? Because I know we're getting into deep issues with what's the New Testament say about this and, and how does this relate to Paul's teaching on the holy days. And we don't have time to get into that right now, but, but hopefully we will. Well, I'm going to have to, to, to wrap up quickly. Um, the next two stories, let's just summarize them quickly. Chapter 17, Will read it for us. Uh, they're grumbling again. And it's water again. They don't have water. They're thirsty again. And uh, I want to say that this grumbling is not just, it's not just like they're kind of in a bad mood, right? <laughs> That's not the best thing either. But they're grumbling, I think, as a, a kind of expression of unbelief. And uh, they're grumbling as people who uh, are ungrateful to God for all that he's done. That's really what it's expressing here. And uh, that's why when Paul comes to 1 Corinthians 10, he talks about the Israelites in the wilderness. He, he says that they were idolatrous and they grumbled. He mentions both of those things together. It's, it's a big deal. And they tested the Lord. They put the Lord their God to a test. That's a big deal in Scripture. It's not just wishing they knew more. It is a way they were saying, uh, prove it. Well, he's already proved it. He's proven his great love and mercy and grace over and over again. And they come back to him and say, prove you're among us again. Is the Lord among us or not? That's not appropriate for us to do. What's appropriate for us is gratitude. Even when God's not doing exactly what we tell him to do. Gratitude is appropriate. You know, a lot of times we say these things like, my luck. I may have said this too, you know. I know a lot of people say it just... Uh, as a kind of a funny way to talk. You know, my luck, this will happen. My luck, that'll happen, right? But I think we should be careful that that does not really become our spirit. Because we might forget, actually, the luck, the luck that we've had, right? Try this on. My luck, I'll be a slave and have nothing I can do about it. But the great God of heaven will come and say, don't worry about it, I'll get you out of there. And then he'll part the Red Sea, and I'll let me walk across it on dry ground. And he'll confound the most powerful army in the world, putting himself between me and them, and lead me out and provide for me. That's my luck. My luck, God will see me, even though I'm a terrible sinner. God will see me and love me and send his own son to die for me. And he'll draw me to himself, and he'll take me out of darkness and death and distance from him. And he'll take me to himself and say, I want to bless you now, and I want to bless you in eternity. I'm going to set you up as a, as, a, as a statue to represent me in the world. I'm going to pour out my blessings on you for all eternity so all people can see it. That's my luck. How about we just say thank you? I know life's hard in a lot of ways, but we are called to be a people of gratitude because we know what God does and what he has done. That's what would have been appropriate for the Israelites, but they tested the Lord instead. Last story, and I'm going to wrap it up here. Last story is uh, they have a battle with the Amalekites, and here's how it works. They win as Moses goes up and he holds the staff up like this. Turns out... Moses should have done a little bit more upper body training before this time because he keeps, he keeps lowering it. 
So they get people out and they prop, they prop him up. As long as he holds the staff up, they win. How is that connected to them winning? That's like somebody who wants the Cowboys to win and they think they have to wear a certain pair of underwear for the Cowboys to win, all right? It doesn't work, but they do it anyway. I know I'm talking to somebody right now. <laughs> but it does work in this case. It does work in this case because they're learning lessons still. And it's the same lesson they've been learning in a little bit different form. You got to depend on God. As the psalm came to say it later, the battle belongs to the Lord. Now, they weren't always going to fight this way, right? They weren't always going to have somebody up there. I mean, this is the only time I know of in Scripture where it happened this way, where they won as long as this staff was held up by their leader. But when they saw that happening, they realized, I'm out here swinging this thing, but it, it doesn't work unless Moses' hands are up. <laughs> Why is that? Because God is involved. And you see, when they went out to battle later, they weren't going to have somebody up on a hill holding a staff up like that, but they were supposed to know that this God who provides manna, who provides water, who gives you victory just by somebody holding up a staff, this God is with you. Whatever you're facing, this is the God who determines the outcomes. You depend on him for every movement. That was what they're learning. They learned that God provides. They learned that God heals first. They learned that God provides. And they learned that God protects. That's the Lord they're learning to know. That's the Lord they're learning to sing about. And it's the Lord that we sing about still today. Can I ask you as we close here to just remember the great things that God has done? I can't talk. I don't know how long I can sit here and do this. <laughs> to remember the great things that God has done for you. Have there not been times in your life when you have prayed and said, Lord, if you'll just give me out of this. I'm trying to hurry. I really am. Have there not been times when you have prayed and said, Lord, you'll just show up for me here. I'll serve you forever.
Have there not been times when you have in your life faced great, great challenges and said, Lord, just this, just help me with this, just get me through this. And yet we go on and uh, we come out of it and we get back to saying, is the Lord really among us or not? Can I invite you here this morning to remember the great things that God has done for you and to be grateful to him. Be grateful to this God who has blessed you, who has answered those prayers. Perhaps today is a day of remembrance for you, a day of repentance, a day for new beginnings, a day to say, yes, Lord, you did that. I'm not going to say anymore, is the Lord among us or not? I know he is. And I'm just going to live for you in light of what you've done. I'm going to stop putting you on trial and start recognizing that you have delivered and saved and helped beyond what I deserve. Can I ask the praise team to come on up, please? I asked them to sing this song today. Please uh, put any, any problem with it, please put it on me. <laughs> Um, because there are, there's not music for it. And uh, the words, though, are basically the story of Exodus that we've been reading. And uh, it's be still and know that I am God. That's them by the Red Sea. What Brother Terry talked about last week. He said, just be still and know that I'm God, and I'll take care of this. And uh, then the, the song says, I am the Lord who heals you. I'm the Lord that healeth thee. And uh, I am the God of Abraham. That's how the Lord is revealed initially to Moses. And finally, it's what all of Exodus is pointing us to. It says, in thee, O Lord, I put my trust. Amen.